0: This is Voice of the Lord Ministries and evangelist Kerry F. Bush coming to you with Kerry F. Bush Ministries. Happy New Year. We're getting ready to embark on a new year of 2023. Many of us don't realize the church was formed in 33 AD and that every 2,000 years something profound takes place. Man, accordingly, was created around 4004 BC. And for 2,000 years, what we find is that you had the people. You had humanity. And within this context, after 2,000 years of humanity, a man by the name of Abram was called by God to become the father of many nations. And here we find the beginning of the Jewish people. And for 2,000 years, from approximately 2000 BC to Jesus Christ, 33 AD, we see in that 2,000 years, now you've gone from humanity to the chosen people, the people of God, that was to be an example to all nations of the favor that God had bestowed. And yet in all of this, we find humanity still was there. They called them pagans or Gentiles. Now for the next 2,000 years, 33 AD, we're celebrating a new year in 2023, which means that if you use the 2,000-year cycle as we speak about a trimester, it brings us to a particular point That there's only 10 years remaining, 10 years remaining for another 2,000 year cycle. So let's look at it as a trimester. If we're talking about the upcoming new year, we need to have an understanding where we are as we come to celebrate a new year, new opportunities. So as we look upon what's getting ready to embark, let's look at this. The Hebrew number 40 signifies trials libations, testings. They wandered in the desert 40 years. Jesus fasted 40 days. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah walking from Mount Carmel to Mount Sinai 40 days. So the number 40. But for jubilation or the year of jubilee is every 50 years. And that's where it's restoration. So 40 times 50 is 2000. So if we look upon this, as Jesus signified a woman in labor to give birth, we see the first 2,000 years, 50 times 40 equals 2,000, you had just humanity. And remember, within that context, you also had the flood. The next 2,000 years, the people of God and humanity. But the next 2,000 years, you had the family of God, the Jewish people, and humanity. So from Adam to Abram, 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus, 2,000 years, from the birth of the church in 33 AD to where we are now, something within the next 10 years, not the second coming of Christ, certain things have to take place. But something profound is getting ready to happen. Are you prepared for this? So Advent, as we were speaking about Christmas or the season leading up to Christmas Advent, also deals with the parousia or the second coming of Christ. It means coming. So here we are at a time period where we're in the midst of the fulfillment of prophecy. And when you're in the midst of it, it's hard to see it. It's so much as trying to track a hurricane. When it's at a distance, you could see it being tracked by meteorologists. But the closer it gets, all of a sudden you're in the midst of it. On Pentecost, as Peter was speaking in verse 40 of chapter 2, after giving his argumentation about Jesus the Christ, it says in verse 40, In support of his testimony, he used many other arguments and kept urging, Save yourselves from this generation which has gone astray. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Some 3,000 were added that day. Well, I want to share with you because you have to understand the times in which we're living in this generation has absolutely gone astray. Now, the question is, we're in the world, but not of the world, but how much of the world is in your life? Because if we are speaking about the coming of Christ, whether the first or the second, it's a preparation. So with New Year's, there are these elements that we speak about of resolution. And it's in that context of resolution. Now, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And if the Son of Man has set you free, you'll be free indeed. Yes, truth will set you free, but discipline will keep you free. How many people have often made New Year's resolutions and grew weary, just yielded to it, but bailed to discipline themselves? Scripture says, when discipline's administered, it's not a time of joy, but rather of grief and sorrow. But later, it brings forth the fruit of joy and peace to those who trained in its school. So when we look at the word resolution, it means the act of process of resolving something or breaking it up into its constituent parts or elements. So to be resolved or to resolve means to break into separate constitute elements or parts and to analyze. It means to change or transform. To cause a person to decide to make up his mind, to reach a decision or intention, and to find the solution or answer to a problem or situation. It means to explain or make clear, to remove, or to dispel. So in your New Year's resolution, it's to make you a better person, but also more authentic Christian. Let me say that again a more authentic Christian. So within this process, what we see is reform or repentance. What is it in your life? In Romans 13, when it says, we need to examine ourselves to see whether we are living in faith or not, or perhaps maybe we have failed the challenge. You know yourself better than anyone else. What areas of your life? need to be reformed or come to repentance. And then with that comes a transformation. And transformation takes time. It's a transition so that you may conform evermore to the likeness and image of God. So what does it take? Time, evaluation, counsel. God wants us to set our priorities in order and have the proper perspective and attitude. But you also need to come to the point of making a decision, formulate a plan, and put it into action. Faith without works is a bed as dead, as lifeless, as a body without breath. In reality, the highway to hell is paved wide with good intentions. Well, why do we need to do that? Before you can seek how, what, when, or where, you must settle this question, why? What would motivate you to want to change? What would be the incentive to change? You need to be honest, sincere, and humble. Now, is your goal realistic, or is it fantasy? Is it fallacy? That's wishful thinking. God wants to bring you into hope, because hope is still in the imagination. It's still within the mind. In hope are you saved, and not by works. But hope is not hope if its object is seen. Indeed, how can it be that one hopes for what one sees? So, with hope, we see that it is based upon the promises of Scripture. Whereas your imagination can go with wishful thinking, a wish I may, I wish I might, which is unattainable, fallacy has to be separated from the reality. And there is also the spiritual reality. But is it for yourself you're choosing this desire to change or is it for others? Now, nice. the element of support, Now, we discussed process, the why. Now, let's look at support. Who can you trust to share your vision, your intentions? Let your friends be in the thousands, but your confidants few. Not everyone can hold a confidence. Trust. Scripture says you test all spirits and retain that which is good. Is there an existing support group, secular, religious, spiritual? Do you know individuals of a like mind willing to become a support group? And are you willing to be vulnerable to positive criticism? Now, there are four areas. The mind, which is the law of reason. The soul, which is the spiritual principle in man, his likeness. The body being the temple of the Holy Spirit, but at the same time, is under the curse, subject to sickness, disease, and death. But the Spirit is the life force of God. It's his breath, his image. So if you're looking to change, now a question remains, is the cycle being broken? You can't not do the same thing over and over. That's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. You need innovation, the fifth element. So we spoke about process, why, support, the four areas. Now innovation means something newly introduced, a new method to change the way of doing things. So initiative is the taking or the action of taking the first step or move, responsibility for beginning or originating, the characteristic of originating new ideas or methods, and the ability to think and act without being urged, being being enterprising. Well, you need a motive. What is motive? Motive refers to any impulse, emotion, or desire that moves one to action. And then you have incentive, applies to a stimulus often a reward that encourages or inspires one to action. So we look at David, for example, when he was facing Goliath. His incentive was, what will be given the man that kills him? Oh, he'll be given great wealth. He'll get to marry the king's daughter. His family will be exempt from taxation. But what was it? That was the incentive. But what was the motive? The motive was when Goliath began to insult the armies of God and no one stood against him. David took it upon himself, but inducement refers always to an outer stimulus rather than an inner urge that tempts or entices one to do something. Sometimes you have intervention to where family or friends call someone else to point out a particular fault or failing. It could be drug addiction, alcoholism, or something that needs to be corrected in their lives, and it's their love that motivates them, even facing rejection from them. So we need that innovation. So the reality I ask is, to what degree are you really choosing and willing and desiring to change? When we look at George Washington Carver, who lived from 1864 to 1943, he overcame racial prejudice to establish himself as a renowned American educator, spurting temptation to give in to bitterness for the way he was treated Carr wisely wrote, hate within will eventually destroy the hater. Hate within will eventually destroy the hater. We know the greatest is love. Love, you know, covers a multitude of sins, but God is love. So we're called to love. But love also means looking for a person's best interest, which is their salvation. What good is the gain the whole world and suffer the loss of your soul? What we see George Washington Carver developed was a mindset or a spirit as a victor, not a victim. In today's society, everybody's a victim. But you cannot attract what you dislike. We're redeemed sinners, but sinners, nevertheless, not nor of ourselves, but by God's merit in Jesus Christ. That way we can identify and empathize with people. Yes, we acknowledge fault, negativity, but what do we... Emphasize goodness and positive. We're eternal optimists. Man is both corporal and spiritual. In creation, God laid a foundation that established laws that remain firm. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm the Lord thy God, I change not. Man must remain faithful to this foundation and respect laws which God has written into it. But they're not doing it, they're interpreting scripture. To satisfy sin. And they're saying, oh, but love, but it is a perverted love that they describe. It's not authentic, it's not genuine. It is in deception. Satan has lied and they've bought into the lie that everybody's going to go to heaven, that this is not sin. There's no devil, there's no hell, there's no consequence. That's just man interpreting that and formulating that to scare people into Christianity. But understand this it said, through faith, Is above reason. Through faith, there can never be any real discrepancy between faith and reason. God cannot deny himself, nor can truth ever contradict truth. Consequently, methodical research in all branches of knowledge, provided it's carried out in a truly scientific manner and does not override moral laws, can never conflict with the faith because of the things of the world, and the things of faith derive from the same God. Yet we have many denominations, we have ministers that are proclaiming that sin is okay, that all of a sudden God has changed his mind about homosexuality, the LGBTQ+, everyone wants to be politically correct and get on this new wave of acceptance and tolerance of everything except the truth. And when Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate said, then you are a king? He says, it is you that say I'm a king. The reason I was born, the reason I came to the world is to testify to the truth. Anyone committed to the truth, here's the voice of God. And Pilate says, what is truth? And that's the crisis that the world is in today, especially the church. What is truth? God's word is truth. But we see what happens in Jeremiah. We see a shocking, horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priest teaches they wish. Yet my people will have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? See, the word of the Lord has become for them an object of scorn, which they will not have. Small and great alike are greedy for gain. Prophet and priest all practice fraud. See, I am bringing evil upon this people, the fruit of their own schemes. Listen, God disciplines us, but we punish ourselves. Remember that. Because they heeded not my words, because they despised not my law. See, I will place before this people obstacles to bring them down. How can you say we are wise, we have the law of the Lord? Why that has been changed into falsehood by the lying pen of the scribes. For the wise are confounded, dismayed, and ensnared, since they have rejected the word of the Lord. Of what avail is their wisdom? And we have many, many educated intellectuals that are idiots. And i say it again. They're idiots. We have an obligation to seek the truth. Man tends by nature towards truth, and he's obliged to honor and bear witness to that truth and impelled by their nature and bound by moral obligation to seek the truth, especially religious truth, so there is no excuse. A lie consists in speaking falsehood with intention of deceiving. Lying is the most direct offense against truth gravity of a lie is measured against the nature of the truth and the forms, the circumstances and intentions of the one who lies, and harm suffered by its victims. But to receive God's mercy, you have to admit your faults. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, St. Paul says, where sin and grace Grace abounds all the more. But to do its work, grace must uncover sin so as to convert our hearts. Like a physician who probes the wound before treating it, God, by his word and by his spirit, casts a living light on sin. Conversion requires convincing of sin, it includes the interior judgment of conscience. And that's one of the situations we find ourselves in. When you stand for truth, get ready to be persecuted because. Society doesn't want to hear the truth. They want to believe in the lie, not realizing the consequences is eternal damnation. Sin is an offense against reason, truth, and right conscience. It is a failure in genuine love for God and neighbor caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. Sin is an offense against God. Sin is thus love of oneself even to contempt of God. For the root of sin is in the heart of man in his free will, but also love, the source of the good and pure works, which sin wounds. When we speak about this element, we also have to have an understanding that God calls us to witness. You're a missionary. You're an evangelist. Does your life reflect the behavior, not just the words, Satan could quote scripture, but is your behavior that of an authentic Christian? In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 17, 19 says, has not forsaken the Lord your God done this to you? People are complaining about the economy, about natural disasters, about pestilence. They're speaking about the plagues, you know, COVID. But has not forsaken of the Lord your God done this to you? Your own wickedness chastises you. Your own infidelities punish you. Know then and see how evil and bitter is your forsaken the Lord your God and showing No fear of me, says the Lord God of hosts. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 35, people trying to justify themselves, he says, Behold, I will judge you on that word of yours, I have not sinned. Scripture says, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. So what it says, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, Return, rebel Israel, says the Lord, I will not remain angry with you, for I am merciful says the Lord, I will not continue my wrath forever, but only know your guilt and how you rebelled against the Lord your God. In Jeremiah 4, 1 and 2, but if you wish to return, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me, if, now that's conditional, you put your detestable things out of my sight and do not stray, then you can swear as the Lord lives in truth, judgment, and in justice. You know, God gives us that element of hope. He's merciful. His mercy I desire. When people speak about Jeremiah 29 as a direct phone line to God, there's an area of Jeremiah 29 in verse 4 that says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, To whom all the exiles whom I exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon build houses to dwell in, plant gardens, eat their fruits, take wives, beget sons and daughters, find wives for yourselves, and give your daughters husbands so that they may are sons and daughters. There you must increase in number, not decrease. Promote the welfare of the city to which I have exiled you and pray for it to the Lord, for upon its welfare depends your own. Are we praying for our nation, all politicians, all judges? You know, it's not law enforcement that's the problem today. We have a broken judicial system that puts more compassion upon predators than victims. And as a result, there's no consequence. So what happens is in the judicial system, it's going on repetitious, repetitious, revolving door, revolving door, and crime increases. Scripture says where wickedness abounds in high places, crime increases. But do we have a burden for souls? Are we praying for the victim as well? Are we praying for the perpetrator? Or are we just sitting back complaining and criticizing are we taking an active role in evangelizing? Because you and I are first and all called to be missionaries and evangelists. But where we are, we're called to prosper. We're called to be a witness for Christ in spite of all things. But the main thing we're facing is the persecution of Christianity. And in Amos chapter 8, verse 11, it says, Yes, days are coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine upon the land not a famine of bread or thirst for water, but for hearing the word of God. They shall wander from sea to sea, rove from the north to the east in search of the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. They shall not find it. And today, when you preach sin, when you're preaching the gospel, oh, is it hate speech? You know, everyone is twisting truth because they can't bear to hear it. But you and I are a witness to truth. That's the reason why Jesus came. Now, the purpose of his coming was to redeem us and a new covenant built upon better promises. He came and reconciled us to God. So there we find ourselves as children of God in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with all men and for that holiness. God calls us to holiness, without which no one can see the Lord. See to it that no man falls away from the grace of God, that no bitter root springs through which many may become defiled, that there be among you no fornicator, and that means having the act of sex outside the sacrament of matrimony, or a godless person like Esau who sold his birthright for a meal. You know that afterward he wanted to inherit his father's blessings, but was rejected because he had no opportunity to alter his choice, even though he sought the blessing with tears. So what am I to say? Isaiah 38 says it best. What am I to say or tell him? He has done it. I shall go through all my years despite the bitterness of my soul. As a Christian, we have to guard against that bitterness in our soul. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Do good to those who spitefully lose you. Bless those who curse you. You have to ask God for the grace to deal with your anger, to deal with the bitterness, the hurt, the disappointments. But forgiveness, faith, and love is a choice. I choose to love. I choose in spite of because our love is imperfect. Our forgiveness is imperfect. Our faith is imperfect. We are imperfect. We live in an imperfect society. We live with imperfect humanity in an imperfect world under the curse. When he goes on to say, Those who live, whom the Lord protects, yours, the life of my spirit. You have given me health and life, thus my bitterness transformed into peace. That's where repentance comes in. That's where implementing God's principles come in. Do not conform to this age, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, you must acquire a fresh spiritual way of thinking. He goes on to speak about, you have preserved my life from the pit of destruction when you cast behind your back all my sins. The gospel's in the salvation business. The church is in the salvation business. It's not called to make you all comfy and fuzzy and warm. It's called to prepare you for the spiritual warfare that's in this world. Light against darkness, truth against deception, love against indifference and hatred. Though no, we're called to be a contrast to this world, God is preparing us by living a holy life. In First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, Can you not realize that the unholy will not fall heir to the kingdom of God? Do not deceive yourselves. No fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, sodomites, thieves, misers, drunkards, or slanders, or robbers will inherit God's kingdom. And such were some of you, but you have been washed, consecrated, justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. So you and I are redeemed sinners. Now I want us to take a serious look at this when we make it on New Year's resolutions. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24, I declare and solemnly attest in the Lord, you must no longer live as the pagans do. Their minds are empty, their understanding darkened. They are estranged, that means separated from a life in God, because of their ignorance, which means lack of knowledge, and their resistance. Without remorse, they have abandoned themselves to lust and the indulgence of every sort of lewd conduct. That is not what you learn when you learn Christ. I'm supporting of course, that has been preached and taught to you in accord with the truth that is in Jesus. Namely, you must lay aside your former way of life and the old self which deteriorates through illusion and desire. And that's why we have resolutions, New Year resolutions. And acquire a fresh spiritual way of thinking. You must put on that new man, created in God's image, whose justice and holiness is born of truth. Again, what is truth? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 20. May He strengthen you inwardly through the working of His Spirit. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, and may charity, love, be the root and foundation of your life. Thus, you'll be able to grasp fully with all the holy ones the breadth, length, height, and depth of Christ's love, and experience His love. Understand, God wants you to experience His love, which surpasses all knowledge, so that you may attain to the fullness of God Himself, to Him whose power, now at work, in us can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Finally in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 through 20, keep careful watch over your conduct. Do not act like fools but like thoughtful men. Make the most of the present opportunity for these are evil days and I assure you these are evil days. Do not continue in ignorance but try to discern the will of the Lord. Avoid getting drunk on wine that leads to debauchery. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and inspired songs. Sing praise to the Lord with all your hearts and give thanks to God the Father always and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in this new year, when we spoke earlier about the cycles, the seasons, the trimester of the 2,000 years, there's 10 years left. We're in 2023. Remember, the church was formed in 33 AD. There's 1990. There are only 10 years left to the cycle. It's not the second coming of Christ. Certain things have to take place. But what I am saying is this at the end of 2,000 years, it was, again, Adam to Abram, Abraham to Jesus. Something profound is getting ready to happen. Are you prepared? Are you holding so tightly to the things of this world that if Jesus was to return, you would hesitate or deny him or reject him, put priority over idols? And that could be members of your own family. It could be people. It could be your race. It could be your political affiliation. What are you putting above God's truth that is separating you from God? God will never walk away from you, but you can walk away from God. His love is so great that if you want to go to hell, he'll walk with you and open the gates of hell itself for you if that's what you want. People, New Year's resolutions. Let's look at ourselves because revival begins with you and one other person. Can people look at you and say you're authentic? Are you humble? But are you confident in God's word, in his truth, and in his promises that you offer hope? other people that despite what's going on in the world, what's going on in their personal life, that this world and everything within this world is passing away. Only faith, hope, and love prevails. And in heaven, you don't need hope. You don't need faith, but it's love. Are we people of authentic love that have such a burden for souls that will tell them the truth in spite of their rejection, in spite of their persecution? in spite of being ostracized or even condemned? That's for us to ask. But in the meantime, is our behavior reflective of our words? Are we truly authentic Christians? This is Evangelist Carrie F. Bush, wishing you a very happy new year, and today is the first day of the beginning of the rest of your life. God is the I am, Yahweh. He is in the now. Yesterday's gone. If you desire a bright future, then today, the moment is yours. Make a choice. May God richly bless and keep you. Thank you.